Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Most Self-Improved. I'm Erin Jensen with my lovely co-host, Bob Nachilakori. Today, we are continuing our series on the book version of My Soulmate, The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control by Katherine Morgan Shrimm. We'll figure it out. Today, we are covering chapters five, six, and seven, and we're going to learn why self-compassion is so important key shifts to help you bring forth that success you're longing for. And we're also going to have a come to Jesus moment or insert whatever fitting religious references for you and your beliefs a moment about how we punish ourselves. And chapter five is about just that. Catherine is speaking to a client. She's a therapist and the client had a rough day beating themselves up about it. Catherine asked her, well, what's the difference between your best and perfect? How would you answer the question? They're the same. And that's why it was a gulp moment for me. That's why it was like, oh, like you can sit here and say like, oh, sure. There's no such thing as being perfect. But the vision of my best, like your best is perfect. Well, have you ever done anything? And you were like, that was perfect. I mean, you get hundreds on tests. (laughs) Yeah, but we have been out of school for a very long time. (laughs) You do a tight seven on your first try and, and Bethesda feels like perfection. I don't know. I mean, don't, I don't, I don't know. No, no. To your example, like I do remember in school, I was always like a natural, like academics. And so it felt very easy to be perfect because it's a number system, but that's yeah. like not how life. Like, there's okay. No let me, life. let me ask this way. Well, how much disparity is there between what your best is and what your vision of perfect is? Cause for me, it's like, mm. but for I you, there's so much. Okay. Huge. That is healthy. It's so healthy. Is it healthy? I don't know. I just feel like perfect is so. Yeah, I don't think like even if I tried my very best, could I get anywhere close to like what I imagine perfect to be? And And so I think. (laughs) No, I think that gives me permission to be like, okay, well, that's just unattainable. But I don't think of that as healthy. I think of that as like, do I need to be trying hard, like harder? We are the like mental version of the odd couple. If you have any reference of that. So that's got to be fun. That's got to be a benefit. So the definition Catherine gives for self-punishment is, quote, consciously or unconsciously returning to something that you know will hurt you or denying yourself something that you know will help you. She says people use punishments, quote, to teach yourself a lesson like a sitcom dad. But Catherine says this doesn't work because, quote, When you punish someone, that person doesn't learn how to change. They learn how to avoid the source of the punishment. Examples of self-punishment include critical negative self-talk, self-sabotaging the good in your life, denying yourself the space and time to experience simple pleasures are a few that Catherine lists. So do you punish yourself at all? I think my big one, which she goes over in the book, is rumination, which is where you go over what happened? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Oh, if I had done this differently, then I wouldn't be feeling this way right now. What about you? Oh, big critical negative self-talk girl, which Catherine has defined as the most common. So I guess I'm just like everybody else. Writing, being a writer, you write a sentence, you're like, oh, that's not so good. These are just recent examples. Don't have to reach too far back. Having gone on two dates, with a boy and and then not hearing from him since Monday. It's like, oh, well, if you were cuter, if you were Uh whatever. So I think there's, there's just a lot to a lot of negative self-talk. So 
how big of a deal is this self-punishment? Well, Catherine writes that research has found that it's not the ambition of a perfectionist that's harmful, but quote, the self-criticism we lacerate ourselves with that endangers our well-being. So why are we doing this? Why are we punishing ourselves? Three things Catherine points to. One, we are evaluating our worth on performance instead of our existence. How many hinge likes you get? How many dates that you get? How many whatever? Two, we're not understanding how important being compassionate with ourselves is. Three, we are incorrectly interpreting self-punishment as personal accountability. When you have that negative self-talk, which one of these is the reason why you're doing that? I don't think it's like an either or situation, right? Because I think I'm an accountable person, but I think for me, in that example specifically, I was like, oh, I didn't work out today or yesterday, Saturday, I should, I'm doing one workout, but I should sign up for another workout, which kind of feels like a punishment more than accountability. I think the first two are paired more. Like nobody likes me or nobody listens to a podcast, what have you. And the negative self-talk comes and then I'm not compassionate enough with myself too put a stop to it. What about you? She talks a lot about self-compassion in this chapter. So I think that whenever you're punishing yourself, most people are not good at being nice to themselves. Yeah. And so it feels like that is the big thing. I also liked in this chapter was where she talks about this thing called the thought action repertoire. Fancy title. Very fancy. (laughs) Which she says broadens when you're in a positive state. So... If you have a really nice date, then you come home feeling really good and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel good. I'm going to like work out. And then you feel really good after doing that. And then you're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm just going to go to sleep early. Then you wake up early and you work on your book and then everything's just going great because you're just, your thinking is lining up with your actions and like, it's a really nice positive cycle. The bad thing is it can be flipped. So if you're in a negative state, and someone was really mean to you. Something happened on the date. You're like sitting, looking at your phone, you're getting upset. And then you're just like, I just need to eat something to make me feel better, but it's not gonna be healthy because that's not gonna make me feel better. So let me just eat this whole carton of ice cream. And oh, now I feel sick, so I'm not gonna go to the gym. And I'm just gonna watch Housewives until two in the morning and not wake up early. And so it can lead you the other way, but The big thing, the important thing is she says self-compassion can expand your thought action repertoire and it pulls you out of the negative cycle. So if you are kind to yourself, even if, you know, whatever, someone hasn't texted you, you got a bad performance review, you can be like, okay, this is okay. I still love myself. I'm like a great person. I'm going to eat a salad and then work on my book and you don't go, you don't go to a bad place. You don't go to the back. Not that like, whatever, everyone needs ice cream sometimes, but like you don't fall into that. You are making the choice. You're in the driver's seat rather than your thoughts. Last week, you had a question about what happens when you put your effort into achieving a goal and then it doesn't happen. And so that's what Catherine is getting into in chapter six. You'll enjoy the solution about as much as you enjoy getting an A minus. Let go, fail forward and be compassionate with yourself no matter what. So in addition to being compassionate with ourselves, Catherine says that we have to detach from the outcome of our effort, which as a perfectionist feels very scary to me because I'm like, I'm doing all this work in order to meet this expected outcome. And then if I'm not going to get those results, like why am I trying? Why get up early in the morning and do this crazy workout and go to work and then do all this stuff after work? 
if it's not going to happen, let's just lay on the couch. You know, why not just lay but on you the couch? Wouldn't, wouldn't be happy doing that either. But when you compare at the end of your life, maybe old, tired ass Aaron would be like, <laughs> should have watched a little more Bravo. <laughs> Catherine explains that the problem is not caring about how much you reach your goal, reaching your goals important. It's fine to care about the goals. But she says that the problem is if your joy is contingent on reaching the goal. So I can be happy when I get a husband. I can be happy when I have babies because we can't control the future. So what can we do? What is in our hands? We can be present and focus on the task at hand, she says, which is called engaging in the process. And also we should change how we perceive failure. She writes, when you don't allow rejection, delay, or failure to serve as a commentary on who you are, it's easy to move forward because you still believe in yourself. To fail forward means that you allow yourself to grow from your failure and out of that newfound state of expansion, you try again. You engage in the process for the sake of enjoying and learning from the experience, not for the glory of a future win. So how do we focus on the process? She says we can honor the process by acknowledging it and celebrating it. Identify the parts that can be appreciated at this very moment. Even if you haven't achieved your goal, what can you give yourself credit for now? And Catherine had this tip the story about how she was celebrating and her idea that things should be celebrating in the middle. I could not love more. She said, quote, yeah, you, yeah. you have to initiate the celebration of the middle of the process yourself. This is how adaptive perfectionists live, inviting joy, connection, support, and gratitude in our lives during the process, not just after the win. Because I'm so guilty of this. I remember when I was going to launching my first podcast, I was like, I want to have a premiere party. And like, that'll be a great celebration. It's been so much work and I didn't have the party, but also I didn't celebrate myself in the middle at all. I, I could have. I liked this idea too. And like the story to yes. finish it as she goes to this party supply store with her daughter, her toddler daughter to celebrate the writing of this book before it was published, just when it was like on her computer in a Word document. And then when her kid asked her, was it my birthday? Is it your daddy's birthday? Why are we having a party? She says, mommy's trying really hard at something. We're having a trying party, which is just very cute. Right? I think this idea of detaching from the outcome and enjoying the process is not a new like so many people say that there's aspects of like ancient religions that are like you have to detach from like outcomes and just like enjoy life. Like this is your life, right? There was one quote in there that I liked, which was don't save anything for a special occasion. Being alive is the special occasion, which is a very joyful way to live. And I think for certain processes, I can see how this works. Writing a book or doing a podcast, learning a musical instrument, you see that incremental progress and just like trying, you can like celebrate that. There's other processes that feel less fun. <laughs> I think there were points where I found dating really fun and I could enjoy the process, but there were other points where I was like, I'm only doing this for the outcome. You know, if yeah. I'm like, this is, this feels hard to have a trying party for. I'm not saying this doesn't apply, but that it just feels harder, right? To like yes. celebrate just being alive and trying for something you really want when mm -hmm. that outcome feels so large, right? Yeah. In certain situations. That was one of my things of like, okay, well, if I want like kids so badly and I want a husband so badly, how do you detach from that? outcome. Right. Because that's a bigger thing. It's right? a life than thing like, rather than like your life will look vastly different if you don't find a husband and have kids versus if you never finish your book, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Moving on to chapter seven, new thoughts to think to help you stop overthinking, 10 key perspective shifts to help you find the success you're looking for in everyday life. These chapter titles are like an exercise for the mouth. Chapter opens up with a quote I loved, which hard to meet a quote that I don't love if you've been listening, but the quote is being in the game is the prize. So I would just like to say thank you for that RuPaul because I had never heard that before. So thank you. Catherine provides 10 perspective shifts. I thought instead of listing all 10, I could name the three that really resonated with me. And then Bob's, you could also share yours. And then just one more thing to note, Catherine says, really understanding and believing and letting it sink in that you are whole and perfect as you are in this very moment is the most impactful shift that you can make. So in addition to the ones that we're going to share, you're perfect, you're whole, you're gorgeous, all the good things. So (laughs) for me, a big shift was maintenance is a triumph because she talks about breaking down the steps in which you make a change, starting with everything's going fine. Basically, maybe there's like a little tickle of something's wrong. Sometimes we always think like, okay, this step, I just want to change. Like that is the step. But so in addition to even thinking about before what your life was and feeling like something's missing, that's part of the step you change, but also the maintenance. Because as we mentioned last week, the rent is due every day. You have to keep doing it. So that was one for me, swapping better or worse for different. She was talking about how it's easy to compare certain things. She compares, I think, in Beach, North Carolina to Paris and how she says how much she loves North Carolina, but obviously you can't slight Paris. So it's not that the one is better than the other. It's just that they're different. So It's not that someone else is better than you. You are just different. You're a different person. You're a unique individual and you have your own skills. She says, there's so much subjectivity in whether you're chosen or not, whether you're considered good or not. It's all so silly. It doesn't mean anything. What matters is that you're living your life according to your values. What hurts me more than failing is not being able to be my full self. So that I think is really impactful for me because it's very easy to get caught up in well, why does this person have more listens to their podcast? Or why don't I look as beautiful as this person? It's very easy to compare yourself. And then lastly, the one that really hit me was a feather's weight more weighs a lot. As a therapist, she says, it's interesting when people come in and they're like, oh, I have a big change or something's finally clicked, whatever, because she feels like healing is something that happens in tiny evolution, she says. So just like a weight more. She writes, healing requires an intense amount of work, but healing does not require that the intensity of the work be experienced in a consolidated fashion. So I thought that that was a really great perspective and a way to take stock on whatever healing journey that you're on. What about you? What shifts resonated with you? Yeah, I really liked all of those. I'm going to share three different ones. Love it. Get some variety. Some variety. Not, um, yeah. So. And I like also that you said different, not better or worse. You just said three different <laughs> ones. So look at you. Three quick study. different ones. She has a quick study. So the last one she talks about is closure is a fantasy. She basically says, so when we want closure, what we really want is control because we're so sad or we're so confused about like why something has happened. It's like this compulsive need to understand why, which is right. Trying to have control over the situation. Like if I understand this, then I can know what to do with it. And this applies to lots of situations, right? Like any situation where there is 
grief, right? So if you're losing a loved one, like she says, that is closureless, which I read that and I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I just immediately was like, that feels awful, but it's true. And it's like life, right? So she says healing from that grief is less about establishing resolution and being like, okay, that's over. The healing is done and more about being able to center yourself in the parts of your life that remain unresolved. I was that person that'd be like, can we just like have a conversation? <laughs> and that like doesn't exist, right? And people would say like, that's not, closure's not a real thing, but I kept wanting it. So closure is a fantasy. Yeah, it is very uncomfortable. That's helpful. That hit me when she said, it's just you wanting control. Cause it is, it feels chaotic. And up until that point, you thought they loved you, whatever, it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's a shock. Why wouldn't you want to wrap your head around something? Yeah. Another one I like, counterfactual thinking, is a cognitive reflex, which it's funny. I think of this one as connected to rumination, actually, because, you know, when I would go over in my head, I'd be like, oh, like, if I did this, this would have happened. And so it's just like this, like, those flow charts where it's like, like, it's just building that in your mind. But she says, in some ways, you need those to generate progress because you want to be able to imagine a scenario that would be better. So counterfactual thinking, it's basically something happens and you can have an upward counterfactual, which is another scenario you kind of think up in your brain that's more appealing than the reality. The example she uses is if you're in an accident driving to work or something an upward counterfactual is like, oh, if I just left on time, I wouldn't have been in this accident. And then a downward counterfactual, whatever you're coming up with is less appealing than the reality. So it could be like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I braked at this moment. Otherwise I would have been killed or something like that. So Mm -hmm. it's just your brain. The brain is like a crazy thing, but instead of just focusing on, on the reality to learn, it kind of thinks through all the different scenarios which as long as you're not ruminating or spending too much time, you can take some lessons from that. My next one, I just, I liked this one just because of the example of the woman she gave, but let's do it. Support comes in every color. So she talks about like all the different kinds of supports you need, whether that's emotional or physical. She talks about this one that just needed sleep and like would come to therapy and just sleep. And I wanted to tell this woman there is a cheaper way to do that. But all to say is like, there's many, many different things you need to get support and some of that sleep, exercise, like your basic things, drink water, you know, do all of those things, see your friends, which sometimes I think people forget and they think like therapy is like yeah. all they need, but you need all of these different things. I love that. That's fantastic. Okay, great. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. If this show meets your incredibly high standards as a perfectionist, please subscribe, leave us a glowing review, share it with a friend. Follow us on Instagram at most self-improved, all one word, and let us know how it's going. We are not just saying that we want to know about you and that we care about you. This is real. This is sincere. We really want to know what are you doing? What are you up against? What are your goals? Are you a messy perfectionist? Are you a Parisian perfectionist? Like insert baguette emoji. Just like let us know. Next week, we will continue our perfectionist guide series reading chapters eight and nine. And it is more fun if you read along. We promise. Okay, Bob's any closing thoughts? Thank you for listening. And being alive is the special occasion. So it is. Uh, it is. What did RuPaul say too? Being in the game is the prize. 
Apologies if I paraphrase, but yes. <laughs> Life is special. You are special. You are fantastic. Have a great day. Yeah, bye. Bye.